0: Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm the director of Ligonier Camp and Conference Center. Henry's kids all came through camp there and uh, was connected at First Presbyter before he came here, which is one of our big camp churches. So we've known Henry for a long time. I do see that the message got out that I spit when I talk, so no one sat in front. But I can also tell you, you've had experience with that before. You had to build a cage around your drummer. He must be a spitter as well. Is that... Or is it sweat? Is that from sweat just pouring off? Okay, it's the sweat. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. But it is good to be with you this morning. And uh, we'll. Uh, the other fun thing, Henry didn't tell me there was a time frame. And I noticed everybody asked me, how long are you going to be? And I think, does Henry go long too? <laughs> no, he doesn't? Okay. So I, I'm guessing we've got an hour and 20 minutes or so. So buckle up. Here we go. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, we pray that um, as we study your word together, that the things that have happened in history under your control, under your guidance, under your purposes, Lord, that those things would speak into our lives today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all like a good story of an heir to the throne. Um, for some of you, I have four daughters. I have one son, four daughters. Um, by the way, my son knows all the secrets. So if you're looking for someone that uh, he's here with us this morning, he's a Geneva student. But if, if you have a daughter that's junior or so in college, sophomore in college, um, I'm going to sell him because he knows all the secrets. It's pretty expensive. It's going to be my way that I pay the rest of the way is through college. So are you all right with that, son? You're good? All right. Um, But uh, I got $4, so uh, the Princess Diaries, anybody Princess Diaries fans? Do we got some folks, right? Good little movie. She doesn't seem like she has anything. She's kind of a poor. It's a great story. All of a sudden, she finds out that she's an heir to the throne of Genovia. Um, She starts to figure out what does that mean. She's got to change all these different things. She ends up kissing Josh. Very disappointing, huh? Am I right? Josh kissing him because we wanted her to be with Mike, Michael, and ended up with Josh there. But she, she finds her way out of that, it ends up being okay. Um, but in real life stories, we, uh, we, we know in real life that there's sort of a, an heir to the throne over in England. We have Prince, Princess Elizabeth. Anybody know who's next after Princess Elizabeth? Charles, that's right. We've got Prince Charles, the Prince of Wales, and after Prince Charles is? That's right, Prince William, Duke of Cambridge. And then we have Prince George of Cambridge. Uh, then we have William and Kate's other children, which are Prince, Princess Charlotte and Prince Louis, Louis um, are next in line. And then William's brother, Prince Harry. And then the final there in that little line, if, if you want to count down seven, is Archie. Although there are 17 things, so you can go all the way down to 17 lines of who's next uh, in, the, in the line. So, uh, in Scripture, there's this really cool story uh, that has to deal with this idea of an heir to the throne. Um, there's a gentleman named Mephibosheth. I've had to practice that name for quite some time, so I'm pretty excited that I just said it well in front of all of you today. Mephibosheth is the son of anybody know? Jonathan. Jonathan that's right. Who said that? That was great. Nice job. Son of Jonathan. We have Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan. And it is a great story that sometimes we overlook, but I think is an incredible story that God puts in there so that we can see who our God is and his great love. So before we get started with that, let's read some scripture together. We're going to start by reading Psalm uh, 136. Psalm 136. I'm going to read one through nine, and then I'm twenty-three through twenty-six. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, God of gods, for His mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for His mercy endures forever. To Him who who alone does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever to him who by wisdom made the heavens for his mercy endures forever to him who laid out the earth above the waters for his steadfast love endures forever to him who made great lights for his mercy endures forever the sun to rule by day, for his steadfast love endures forever, the moon and the stars to rule by night, for his steadfast love endures forever, who remembered us in our lowly state, for his mercy endures forever, and rescued us from our enemies, for his steadfast love endures forever, who gives food to all flesh, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. And then from Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees, and he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people. And the veil that's separate is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken." So we know the story probably pretty well of David and Saul if you've grown up in church and your Sunday school classes. And so you know that Saul was the anointed king that God anointed. And in these times, as Saul being the anointed king, it was his heirs that would be the rightful ones to sit on the throne. But in the midst of that, if you remember the story that David sees or God sees that Saul is unfaithful and so he proclaims and anoints David as the next king. But David as one that honors the Lord's choosing, does not step into the throne even when he probably could have because he waits upon the Lord. Jonathan, Saul's son, who is the rightful heir to the throne, becomes great friends with David. And when Jonathan realizes that his dad has walked away from the Lord, realizes that David is anointed one of God, and because of his belief in the Lord, knows that someday David will be on the throne. But he also knows what that means. When someone who is not of the family of the right heir to the king steps onto the throne, that person most likely is going to kill all of the family of the past kingdom. Because if not, there's going to be civil wars eventually. There's going to be battles eventually because someone is always going to be fighting for the rightful heir to the throne if it's not from their family. And so Jonathan, knowing this, meets with David, and David and Jonathan make a covenant together. Jonathan says, will you care for my family? And the scriptures say that David makes a love covenant promise with Jonathan saying, I will care for your family as long as I am on the throne. A great picture of a a promise. Well, if we follow the story forward, there's a big battle uh, against the Israelites and the Philistines. Jonathan and his brothers are killed. Saul is retreating. Saul retreats, and the Philistines catch up to him. They wound him, but they don't kill him. Um, uh, and he eventually falls on his own sword in attempt so that he's not captured by the Philistines. Eventually then, it's a, it's a horrific story where eventually then a servant comes up and actually has to, of his own servant, has to come and completely kill him because he's not able to kill himself completely. When this all happens and the rumor spreads, all of Israel... Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, his maidservant, grabs him and runs to go hide because she understands what's happening. Either, A, the Philistines are going to take over Israel and kill all of Saul's family, or B, David is going to step into the throne. And David, according to all the laws that are going on that time, what his responsibility would be would be to destroy all of Saul's family. So Mephibosheth's uh, maid servant picks him up, runs to go into hiding, falls, and Mephibosheth becomes crippled, and they go into hiding. So here's the cool part of this story. A civil war breaks out between those that were faithful to following Saul. David comes into the throne. David defeats those that try to overthrow him. David is now the king, the one that God has put on the throne, and he has now established himself as the king of Israel. And during that time, the scriptures tell us that David caused. A servant of of, uh, Saul, who is still alive, his name is Ziba, he calls him to himself and he says, is there anyone left from Saul's family that I could show God's kindness to, is the word that's in my translation. This word that is there is a word that we just read about in Psalm 136, and I used some different translations as I read Psalm 136 his steadfast love endures forever, his mercy endures forever. A lot of translations in that say, his love endures forever. The problem with the English language is that we don't quite have a word that fulfills what that word is. That word there is a word hesed, and that Hebrew word hesed, there's no English word that covers that, and so our definition of love is not strong enough. Steadfast love is not strong enough. Mercy is not strong enough, but if we put all of those words together, we get a deeper understanding of what that love language is. It is a covenant, promised, steadfast love that is full of mercy that lasts forever. Now, if we read that, that would be a nice chunk of things. But you need to know that this word hesed has this deep, deep meaning of being promised, covenant, steadfast, mercy, enduring forever, love. And that's the word that David uses that he says, is there anyone left in Saul's family that I could show hesed to? The servant of Saul says, yes, there, there is one. There's a cripple. His name is Mephibosheth. He is the son of Jonathan. So he goes and he gets Mephibosheth and brings him to David's throne room. Mephibosheth is crippled. In this culture, a couple things. One." he belongs to the enemy king, he should be killed, and he's also not worth much in this culture as a cripple. Those with special needs in this culture really typically were pushed aside to be beggars, to be worthless in this culture, and here is this one that comes into the king's throne and my guess is that Mephibosheth believes that he's going to be killed, and so he falls down at the foot of David and bows low, it says. And David says this, Don't be afraid, because I will certainly show you Heset for the sake of your father. I will certainly show you the covenant promised love that I made to your dad. I will show you the mercy and the steadfast love that I promised, even though you deserve death. And I will restore you all the fields of your grandfather Saul, and you will eat at my table." Do you hear what just happened? Not only did he have him come and say, I'm going to show you love, but then he says, And by the way, I'm going to take you in to be part of my family. You're going to eat at my table. I'm going to restore to you all the fields that were your grandfather's fields. And I'm going to let you tend those. And I'm going to give you servants. And I'm going to give you workers so that they can till and take care of the land that is mine that I'm giving to you. Mephibosheth bows low again before David, and he says, Who am I, your servant, that you should care about a dead dog like me? And then at the end of that passage in 2 Samuel, it says this. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's own sons for the rest of his life. What a great story, right? Right? This awesome story that God puts in there, most of all of Scripture, is this great story about the coming of Jesus. And we follow the line of Jesus from one generation to the next generation to the next generation to the next generation that goes through David. There is no reason that the story of Mephibosheth is there except that God wants us to understand what hesed love is. The love that he promises us in Psalm 136. God wants us to understand what chesed love is. I think if we turn over, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Romans 5, 6-7. through 7. It's a great passage that tells us how we get to eat at this table of the king. It also tells us our own crippledness, our own brokenness, our great need for the king to make a way for us to be at his table. For when we were still without strength or power, got that? When we were powerless, when we had no strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, He very clearly states who we are, we're powerless, without strength, we're ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for God, man, someone, a good man, sorry, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, you guys following this, powerless, without strength, ungodly sinners, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Powerless, without strength, ungodly sinners, objects of God's wrath. For if when we were enemies, and now we're enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Here's the picture that God wants us to see as he shares in his great word this story of Mephibosheth. Yes, you and I are Mephibosheth. We're cripples that are coming into the king's throne room. But we're not coming in as ones that deserve anything. We're coming in as powerless without strength. We're coming in as ungodly sinners that are objects of God's wrath and even his enemies. But as we bow before Christ, knowing who we are in our brokenness, our crippled hearts that have no idea how to love the way that we're supposed to love, that are full of selfishness and wanting to serve our own desires rather than God, that want life to go the way we want life to go instead of the way God wants life to go, we fall as powerless, ungodly sinners, objects of God's wrath at the foot of the king. And because of the blood of Jesus, the king says, hey, come and eat at my table. I'M GOING TO RESTORE TO YOU THE LAND THAT I PROMISED YOU. I'M GOING TO SHOW YOU HESET, LOVE, THIS COVENANT PROMISED LOVE THAT I'VE PROMISED SINCE THE BEGINNING THAT THROUGH THE BLOOD OF JESUS, WHEN I CLAIM YOU TO BE MINE, YOU BELONG TO ME FOREVER. I AM FULL OF MERCY full of grace, my steadfast love, covenant promised for you will endure forever. And Jesus shows us this unbelievable hesed love and invites us to eat at the king's table forever. This is a great story. And God puts it here in Scripture so that we can see just a glimpse of what God has done for us in our lives when we're claimed to be his children. All right, if this is true, I have three, because pastors say you're supposed to have three things, I have three changes that should happen, three life changes that should happen if you are one that has been invited to eat at the king's table forever and ever. Number one, all of your needs are taken care of forever. This picture of eating at the king's table is this idea that you're being fed, you're not hungry, you have a home to live in, your, your needs are taken care of. There's nothing that we should worry about. There's no pandemic, there's no sickness, there's no financial stress, there's no hard relationships that we should not in confidence be able to know that our God will take care of. Now, the truth is, We feel lots of anxiety, worry, and stress. Am I right? You guys are like me. Is it just me? Right. We feel lots of anxiety and stress. But if you eat at the king's table, if you're part of his family, if you get to be one of the ones that he has claimed as yours, you don't have any need to worry. Because no matter how hard life gets, no matter how painful things go, our great God and his faithfulness, his hesit love for you, will help you endure anything and he will provide for you at all the right times in all the right places. All of your needs will be taken care of. Number two, the land in which you live and work belong to you. The land in which you live and work belong to you. We think that the place that we work belongs to our boss. We think that this country that we live in is controlled by whether there's a Democrat or Republican on the throne or the president's seat. We think that the price of gas determines on whether we're going to be able to handle the pressures of this life, but get this, the kingdom of God has no bounds. And when the king gives you his land, it belongs to you. All the way from the beginning in Genesis, we get this clear picture where God gives us our purpose. He says, go multiply, go subdue the earth and rule over it. That wasn't a joke. That wasn't something like if you feel like it, that's what you do as God's people. So when you go into work, you own that place. Not in a way like, I'm going to tell you what to do, but you own it in this way. God has given you gifts to use for his glory and his honor. God has given you the picture of what his kingdom is about so that your job is not about making money. Your job is about honoring God and using your gifts to further his kingdom. That's a different reason for working. Gives you a different energy when you wake up in the morning. You wake up because you know that you're serving the king of kings, that you eat at his table, that he's given you your land, and so you get to go and rule over your space, not in the way that we think ruling is, but by carrying out justice and mercy in a place. And it does mean sometimes you have to have hard conversations with your boss because your boss is doing something that is not honoring to God. When you go to school, young people, you're not going to school because you want to get A's on your tests. Although, parents, it is nice to get A's. I understand. I got that. Don't, I'm not telling your kids not to get A's. But it's not because you're going to school, young people, because God has gifted you in special ways. And when you go to school, you learn more and more how God has gifted you, not so that you can get into a good college, so that you can get a good job someday so that you can make a lot of money, so that you can retire. That's what our world tells us. You're going to school so that you can find out how God has gifted you, so when he calls you into action, you're ready to go. You pay attention to how God is calling you and gifting you, because you own the land that he has given you for you to carry out his purposes to further his kingdom not the kingdoms of this world. Number three, you get an inheritance that is forever. First Peter 1.4 tells us that this inheritance that we have never perishes, spoils or fades. It is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power the inheritance that God has given you, we think so often that our lives are about today and tomorrow. King Jesus, the one that's invited us to eat at his table forever and ever, his kingdom is about eternity. And your inheritance, meaning that everything that belongs to God and Jesus belongs to you when you're a son of the king, a daughter of the king, it will never perish. It will never spoil, it will never fade. When the stock markets crash, your inheritance doesn't perish, spoil, or fade. And this is my favorite part, it is kept in heaven for you by the power of God. The same power that said, pick up your mat and walk, your sins are forgiven, the same power. THAT SPLIT THE RED SEA SO THAT ALL THE ISRAELITES COULD WALK ACROSS ON DRY LAND, THE SAME POWER THAT DEFEATED DEATH AND ROSE FROM THE DEAD IS THE POWER THAT HOLDS YOUR INHERITANCE IN HEAVEN FOREVER AND EVER. ISAIAH 25, WE READ THIS, AND IN THE MOUNTAIN, The Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow or well refined wines on the lees. Here's the picture that the Lord has for you the best, the best food there is to offer at his table. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. This separation that we have from God, this is a picture of that separation being destroyed. We see a picture of that when the veil is torn in the temple. You no longer are separated by your sin from God. The consequences of sin is death. And here in verse 8, in Isaiah 25, it says, He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. And are you ready for this? This is the last sentence. This is really important. Everybody pay attention. For the Lord God has spoken. The Lord God has spoken. Here's the thing that we know. I teach a Sunday school class at our, at our uh, church, and it's kind of fun because it's the wee little ones all the way up to 13-year-olds because we're small. So we've got lots of, <laughs> lots of stuff going on. But here's the thing that we all are able to say. When I tell them, what did we learn from Genesis? They all can say this, that God spoke it. It happened, and it was good. God spoke it. It happened, and it was good. For the Lord God has spoken. God said this. He said, listen, there is a day when all of my people will be called to myself, and they will all eat at my table. They will have the best of everything the inheritance that lasts forever, and the veil that separates us from God will be destroyed, and death will be swallowed up forever, and there will be no more tears on any of my people's faces, and my wrath that all deserve because of their sin will be taken away from the world." and the Lord God has spoken." Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this great little story in the middle of this chaotic time in history. Lord, we we don't always understand wars and fighting And death, we don't understand why there's pandemics or crazy weather patterns. All the things, Lord, that just seem to be so destructive. But what we do understand is in the midst of these, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you sit on the throne and there's nothing that is outside of your control. And we also know that even you, our great king, even us, those that are crippled with our sin and don't deserve to be part of even seeing a glimpse of your goodness, Lord, that when we come humbly before you, Lord, that we can be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And you invite us to be part of your table for ever and ever, Lord. That you will take care of all of our needs, even if they don't seem to be the way we want them to be taken care of, Lord. You promise us that you are faithful and good, and that your promised love, covenant promise, love, steadfast, mercy-filled endures forever. And Lord, you send us out into the places of this world and that land you promise us just like you promised Mephibosheth that it belongs to us. So Lord, we pray that we would be faithful in those places where you put us to proclaim your name, your purposes. And Lord, we pray that we would live with people not scared of this side of eternity, but with a deep, deep understanding of the inheritance that lasts forever forever that is held in the power of your hand. Lord, we pray that you would then send us out from this place with confidence, knowing that you are the Lord, the God, that says that this is so. And we pray that you would give us the boldness to proclaim that in our neighborhoods, in our families, at our schools, at our workplaces. Lord, we pray that you would use us as agents of change in your world here today.